Physiotherapy. The highlight of the day was when the physiotherapists came to work with me. My physiotherapists were two young men and I had a huge crush on both of them. Ansel was tall and blonde and Jan was smaller and dark. They wore white polo shirts that stretched across their muscular chests and arms. They were the first men, apart from family members, that I had had close contact with and the physicality of the physiotherapy was vaguely erotic. I looked forward to their daily sessions and they seemed to enjoy them too. I was a bit of an attraction for them as they had never worked with anybody who was so supple before. They would ask me to push against their arms with my good leg and I would effortlessly send their arms way up into the air. It was a great distraction from the daily monotony. I would make sure my hair was brushed and subtle makeup applied each day before they arrived at my bedside. I even attempted to shave my legs, trying in vain to get the razor as far around my broken one as possible without lacerating myself. Angela, my angelic favourite nurse, came to the rescue again and made sure that the curtains were always drawn whilst I washed and that I had plenty of warm water. This sounds basic, I know, but it was the children's ward and she tried to give me a bit of privacy where there was very little to be had. Day of Reckoning That long summer in a hospital bed eventually drifted into autumn and my leg mended enough for the doctors to decide that the traction was to be removed. The removal day kept getting changed and the anticipation was agony. The weights at the end of my bed for traction had to be slowly lessened over a couple of days and at last the day came when the Frankenstein-like bolt through my shin was to be removed. My doctor, Dr Brown, other interested doctors, all the nurses, including Nurse Angela, who was on her day off but came in especially, and my handsome physios crowded round my bed. Each part of the Heath Robinson-like contraption that had kept my legs stretched over the last 90 days were ceremoniously removed. Weights first, then strings. Next, the bolts at the end of the metal bar through my shin were unscrewed and clinked into the waiting petri dish. Everyone stood back a little with anticipatory grimaces on their faces while Mr Brown attempted to remove the bar. There was no dressing around the holes and no blood appeared as he gently twisted the bar but the sound was blood curdling as it creaked out of my leg and surprisingly easily left its home of three months. An audible ah came from the audience and a satisfied grin spread across Dr Brown's face. He then picked up a canister of something antiseptic and attached a nozzle to it. Everyone came a little closer, closer, closer as he placed the nozzle close to the hole and sprayed its contents into the hole. Out from the other hole shot blood pus, bone and all manner of revolting mess right across the people on the left-hand side of my bed, sending them all scarpering and gasping, then rushing back like magnets to see the hole in my shin. Dr Brown 
looked amused for the first time ever. Next, the physios lifted my leg as if it were a precious baby, and indeed there was no way I could move it myself, which felt so strange. They had warned me that this would be the case, but I had paid no attention to it. So used was I to being in total charge of my muscles that I couldn't believe that the messages I was sending to my leg would not get through. As they lifted my leg, Nurse Angela gently removed the cradle of metal and wadding that was below it, smoothed out the sheet, and the physios lay my leg back down on the bed. Everyone gave a gentle clap and smiles were everywhere, but I could see that they were all a little concerned and the area was cleared quite quickly. Dr Brown whispered a few words to the doctors and everyone evacuated my area and left me alone behind the curtains to reacquaint myself with my now free leg. I had dreamt of this day for months, but the euphoria I had anticipated quickly disappeared as I examined my withered leg. My good right leg was that of a healthy, athletic 13-year-old girl, but the left one was only bone and loose skin, and where it had been cocooned for so long, I could now see the full extent of the massive break through the skin, as there was hardly any muscle to obscure the fact that the bone was, well, bent, leaving the thigh of my left leg apparently only about two-thirds of the length of the right leg. I gasped as this information spread like acid through my mind. At this stage, ballet was not my main thought. The simple fact that it was so much shorter and smaller than the other leg was terrifying. When Nurse Angela peeped around the curtain to see how I was, I was not crying, but in shock. What's the matter? she said, and oddly I gave her a weak smile and said, Nothing, Nurse Angela. It's all a lot to take in, she said kindly, and the relief will be exhausting. Take a little nap before we come and wash your new leg. I've changed my shift to be here with you today, so I'll come back in half an hour with a bowl of water. And she walked away. Stop, I wanted to say. Come back and look at what's happened to my leg. But I said nothing. I sort of didn't want to disappoint people. All these kind people that have been trying to mend me for the past three months. I was crying inside, but performing on the outside. I didn't sleep, of course. I sat up as best I could and tried to arrange that withered leg next to the other one, as I have done most days since, to make it look the same length as the other one. But no amount of arranging was going to make it the same length. It looked like a bow, too. A perfect arc. This surely couldn't be right, I thought. I started to feel like a weird conspiracy was happening. I felt grateful for the end to be in sight, but anger was beginning to grow in me at the sheer ugliness of what I had been left with. I retreated into myself when Nurse Angela returned to help me wash, and I was unusually quiet. In her usual gentle way, she didn't push me, or even say anything as huge single tears escaped one at a time from my eyes. Doctors with clipboards came next and mumbling about growth at my age and no word of anything being wrong. Inside I was screaming at them that they had ruined my leg, but for some reason I couldn't say a word. The dreaded caliper. Next, 
A man in an ill-fitting brown suit with tape measures, other weird measuring devices, and a case full of shoe samples and calipers arrived at my bedside. Oh my God, I was going to have to wear a caliper. I had no idea what that was, but the reality of it soon hit home. When he opened his suitcase, the hideous device was familiar to me. In those days, what was then known as the Spastic Society displayed life-size models of children wearing calipers outside shops. One of the mannequins, a boy, held a donation box which people dropped money into and he was always wearing a caliper. Thank goodness that special needs children are no longer presented in such a derogatory way. These prolific mannequins were designed to encourage pity and I wanted none of it. My stomach lurched. I thought I was at the end of this nightmare, that I was on the home stretch, but like a game of snakes and ladders, I felt as if I had slid down to the start line again. Which shoe do you like? Strange little Dickensian man said. I had taken a violent dislike to him, which was unusual for me, and the poor man had done absolutely nothing to deserve it. In a peak of teenage temper, I said, I hate them all. I'll come back when your parents are here. Not wishing to see him or his contraptions more than I absolutely had to, I pointed to a random shoe and said, that one. Good choice, he said. This is a beautiful shoe, all leather and beautifully made. Was he mad? It was revolting. I turned my head away and dismissed him as if I was a prima donna.